Okay, um, this evening I'm going to give you a little lay of the land, and then you'll have a pretty good feel for what you can expect. We're going to be studying out of Philippians chapter 2 tonight. We're going to begin with verses 1 through 5, and we're going to be spending three weeks in this particular passage, not verses 1 through 5. We'll do 1 through 5 to this evening, then we'll do 6 through probably 11 next week, and then 12 through 18 or thereabouts the following week. In each of these sessions, we're going to pick up some very significant nuances in the Greek, and you're going to learn how the Greek helps inform us into understanding and better uh, appreciating these particular verses. The one next week, um, it's, it's one of those weeks, I'm, I think every week is important. That's why I'm here. Uh, but I, I think if, uh, if there was a week that you're going to really want to make sure you're really locked in and, and, and alert is going to be next week, because we're going we're gonna to be studying, the, it's called the Gnosko passage. It's the, the emptying out of Jesus Christ and the passage that deals with out of Philippians. Very powerful, very well discussed, and often, oftentimes very well misunderstood. So we're going to discuss that next week. And so that'll be out of Philippians. Then after we, we, we cover our Philippians passage day, we're going to do a little bit of review on our words. Spend a little time there. Then we're going to look at our last block. This is it. On language, as I said, last block out of out of our introduction. Yes, it's only it's week five, but it's we're finishing the introduction, and uh, but each portion is very important. And we're going to look at two different areas tonight. One area I'll spend probably about ten minutes on. It'll be a very important area, and then we'll move into our new vocabulary. You'll have uh, I think it's five. Does that sound right to you, Becky? Five. It's either five or six. I can't remember. Five. That's what's starting. Five new words tonight. They're all verbs. And there'll be ones that'll be very common in the New Testament. And then we'll do a brief review, and then we'll be finished. And so we're going to begin out of uh, Philippians chapter 2. And so if you want, you, if you could turn there. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And I'm going to read to you from the New American Standard Bible. I mentioned in the past that of all the versions that we have today in the 21st century, this is the most literal. Though again, literality doesn't necessarily mean accuracy. Because just because I take a word and translate it to another word that looks like an equation doesn't necessarily mean that I'm capturing meaning. And I, it bears repeating. Sometimes I listen to what I've, someone has said or I read something and what I'm asking for and what you and I are working toward is meaning. I see what it says, but what does it mean? And it's when we add the meaning that in a sense, and this can be taken the wrong way, but we are putting our own spin on it. We're, we're putting our own thoughts into something. And so even when you're looking at scripture, once we take the Greek language and move it to the English, as we already know and you've heard, there is rarely ever a direct equation. It's, it's not this equals this necessarily. It's this is approximately this. And in some senses, we don't even have remotely an equ equitable version in the English, and then we're really stuck. And that happens more than I care to admit, but that is the nature of the scriptures. And that's why we're studying Greek. But this evening, we're going to look out of, out of Philippians, and I'm going to give you a few important items out of Philippians, particularly one area that I hopefully will be a, uh, an appreciation for you. Uh, you'll hear this term, and it's called an idiom. I'm going to write that word out, idiom. 
very short word, idiom, but it's a very important word in language. An idiom is a phrase or a language that we use that is not meant to be taken literal, but conveys a meaning. Uh, when we moved, when we moved to the mountains of Pennsylvania, my family and I, and, and we were pastoring a church at the time, and our our um, our, our children were very our, our youngest, our oldest child, who's now off at St. Louis, but he was just a just a little spud, and youngster, just a toddler, and. We took him to the nursery. My wife's going to know what I'm going to say here. Yeah, she's already nodding. And, and they said to us, they said, does your child make strange? And I thought, okay, the sentence isn't quite finished yet. Make strange what? Sounds, <laughs> phrases, words, actions, what? Strange what? And they just left it there. But that was an idiom there. It was an expression. Does he make strange? And wh you know what they meant? They meant, when we leave him there, is he going to have issues if he doesn't know somebody else? Is he going to, like, freak out, like, mom and dad aren't here and he's going to have an issue? That's what that, that's what that phrase meant. I had no idea. I, I kept waiting for it to be finished. And it wasn't finished. I mean, well, it was finished. I just didn't know it was finished. And so they looked at our faces and they're like, and I'm thinking, yeah, I pr I'm probably making strange right now. <laughs> so... So those are phrases that we use. We say it's rain like cats and dogs. You know, you've heard that before. And again, it's not literal, but we use that to express an idea or a thought. And most people get it that are in that language. But other people are kind of like, what? Very awkward. And you and your families do that. You have little phrases. Pay attention. Watch it this coming week. Or watch it at your workplace. You just have little phrases, little things you say. And if someone was listening, be like, what is going on over there? You know, if they didn't have the context, they know what was going on. And in the passage today out of Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, we're going to see something just like that. And I'm going to help you see it. And when you understand the language, it helps us better understand what the writer was trying to say. Okay, so here we go. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any uh, consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own self personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. This is Paul writing. Mm -hmm. He's, uh, it's, very it's considered a, a prison epistle, and an epistle means nothing more than just a letter. So he would have written this in one sitting, uh, in all probability. I mean, I say one sitting, it, it could have been a, when he had daylight, but he would have written it in, in one, generally one thought. And he wrote this while he was in prison prison to the church in Philippi. And, of course, the common word that is oftentimes used in this, in this book is the idea of rejoice or joy. Uh, even though he's in affliction, he's trying to encourage the believers in Philippi. So, yes, yes, very, very, much, so, very much so, Charles. And so here, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he has that notion of encouragement. 
But when we read this, therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, it gives the notion of the if-then clause. If-then is typically we view it as a conditional. That is, if this is satisfied, then this will result. Very common in our language. But Paul is not really speaking here as in an if-then clause. He is actually making an imperative or a statement of fact. Uh, this is an expression in the Greek that is a, a use of a, of, a, of a preposition, eh, which is just, or a, really more, more appropriate, which is the epsilon iota, eh. And, and all he's saying there, and that's the word if, but the if here is connected with tain. And in some cases, that te or tain, when that's connected, and that's, this is a construction, it's not actually saying the idea of if, it's saying since in fact there is. Since in fact there is. It's not a matter of if, it's actually a matter of fact. So let's translate this more cleanly with the meaning in the Greek language. Therefore, since there is in fact encouragement in Christ, and since there is in fact consolation of love, and since there is in fact fellowship of the Spirit, and since in fact there is affection and compassion, do you see how that's significantly different now? These are all facts. These are not ideas of possible realm. The notion that Paul's trying to convey here is that he's talking to the believers and saying these these. The idea of affection, the idea of fellowship, the idea of encouragement is in fact present in believers. It's, it ought to be. It's, it's supposed to be there. It's not a matter of if it's there. It's a matter of it better be there because that's what the body of Christ is. It's not a matter of want. It's a matter of must. Then he goes on to say, make my jo- um, then the idea is make my joy complete by being unified in mind. The same here is a, is again, it's a very, it's a very small notion. It's a reflexive pronoun, it's a reflexive pronoun that is used as an adjective. You might say, oh my goodness, don't throw those ideas around this time at night. What that means is, I'm using the idea of self or same, and I'm using that idea to say, everything that Paul says from this point forward, that we are, in fact, fellowshipping together. We are, in fact, compassionate and loving people. We are, in fact, he, as he's describing the church. Then he goes on to say that because of these issues, what makes us this way is the idea that we are the same. We are unified. And that's the reflexive idea, that it is a self-component of sameness. And if you want to write that in your Bible, you can write that idea of sameness. That's what Paul plays on from here on out. The, the, the remaining verses, it's all about sameness. And I'll explain to you why that's very important here in just a moment. So then I'm going to finish out the translation. Then make my joy complete by being of the same or unified mind. Maintain the same unified love, unified, united in spirit, intent on one or one unified purpose. All of these ideas of unification and sameness is what helps us thwart idea of pride. The idea of pride was the undermining agent within any church or any group of believers or any society. 
you think about the fall. Think about the fall of Satan. Satan's fall from heaven was because of pride. And the pride comes in when I compare. When, when I come over to somebody, and I come over to, I'll, I'll just use Charles for a second, because Charles was a little talkative earlier. But I come over to Charles and think, you know, when I look at Charles, Charles is better than I am in this. And Charles is better than I am in that. And I think about the th- ways that Charles is better than me. And if I start thinking that way, the comparison issue, pride can begin to well up. Pride can either well up in, in, a, in, in a way in which it all begins by comparison, whether one's better or less. Or, or less. It doesn't matter. But once I compare, pride has a way of sneaking in. When I think of unity, I'm no longer comparing. I'm looking at how whatever it is that I can offer in the kingdom of God, how I can complement the skills and abilities and the investments and resources of the the people around me. You see, humility has much more to do about complementing than it does comparing. And so Paul talks the whole way here about the the church and the church of Philippi and that they must have all these different types of qualities. And we'll see those again. The encouragement, the love, the fellowship, the affection, the compassion. All of those are only possible when we're united and we are complementing one another versus comparing against one another. Once I begin to compare... It's easy then for me to criticize because now I am focused on differences and I'm not thinking about opportunities of harmony. It's a very different approach. And we're, I think we as people get caught up into that. Uh, We look at sports and what are they? They're competitive. We, uh, you're you're after a, a promotion at your work and there's a notion that you're competing against other people. And, and so our society drives this idea of competition. And the reality is it doesn't have any place in the church. It just doesn't belong. Because that's what creates the pride. And that's what creates this level of I am better than so-and-so. And once that gets in, it's very destructive. And so compatibility compatibility and what i can do in sameness and unification of mind because i can't be unified in mind if i'm comparing and competing i can only be unified in mind if i'm there collaborating and connecting and looking at how i can how i can best contribute to the cause c.s lewis said this about pride he describes it as a slippery fox that every time that you think you got a handle on it, it gets away from you. Um, one of the early church fathers said, and I, I apologize, I can't recall the gentleman's name, but he had this notion of pride. He described it as the idea that it's not about thinking less of myself, that is somehow thinking of less of who I am. It's just thinking about myself less of the time you understand what i'm saying it's not thinking that you're any less because god made you who you are and you're beautiful you're made in his image and and that's to be it's god's handiwork so there's nothing wrong with any human being but the issue of pride is when i when i have pride in my life i have a unhealthy sense of i'm focused much more on self than i ought to be focused on self 
So it's, it's thinking about myself less of the time, not thinking less of who I am. And that's a big difference. And so, because and, that, that gets immediately, once I start thinking a lot about myself, I start thinking about myself, and I start thinking about others, and that's usually not a good mix, because then I get pulled into that entrapment of comparison. And so, then he goes on to say, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, literally empty self-glorification. It's a longer phrase, but that's literally what that rendering is there, empty self-glorification. You get the taste here. It actually gives us the taste of Satan. It does. And I don't usually, you don't hear me say that word very often. Matter of fact, I've now said that his name twice. It's very unusual. But when you see the passage out of Isaiah with disgusting, you know, Lucifer, you get the idea of vainglory, empty vainglory. And that's the idea you're getting here emptiness of self-glorification and so that doesn't belong in the church does not belong and then he goes on to say but with humility and this is where we get the idea of mind and the mind here sometimes when you read in scripture we're given a couple of words for mind sometimes it's talking about the wholeness of who we are like you can say the, um, the apostles were together as one in the upper room, oneness of mind, and that is of purpose, of value. In all their collective energies, they were together as one. The word mind in this passage is not that type of mind. It actually speaks much more to thinking. It is the thinking part. So when Paul writes, with humility of mind, one could easily and very more appropriately render that as of our thinking, that type of mind, the thought, not the wholeness of the person, because sometimes mind does mean the wholeness of the person. Regard uh, one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And it's this is the precursor for the emptying out of Christ which is the ultimate picture of humility, which we'll get to next week. So he's telling the church that this is how the church is supposed to be. It's all about in fact, not if, but in fact, this is how the church is designed. And all of this is, pr is predicated upon the notion, or the foundation is, is that we are to be people of humility. And humility is about not comparing to compete. It's about how we can work together and support one another and not, not looking. Because when you start to compete, you fault-find. And what does Scripture have to say about fault-finding? You know, don't, don't look at the speck in your neighbor's eye, but what? Look at the, you know, the big board, the big plank, the big two-by-four, you know, the eye bar, whatever it might be. <laughs> look at that thing in your own eye. I mean, it, the, the comparison there is staggering in, in the Greek. Yeah, the speck is really, it's so, it's, it's smaller than a gnat, and the other one is as large as a room. I mean, it's just so hard to, it, it's just, wow. And when you recognize that, that's what we get ourselves into if we're not careful. And so that's going to preface now our discussion for next week. So I'm going to stop there. And that was a little of the Greek and how the Greek helps us better understand a passage. Again, it might make the passage a little more clumsy, it will have to put some more words in, but it gets back to this idea of the idiom. And the Greek is full, filled with idioms, just like our language is filled with idioms. We use phrases and words all the time 
that we're not meant to be taken literally, but when we're saying it, the people around us know exactly what we mean. And if you think about the idioms in your world tomorrow, you might step back and go, wow, he was really right. Man, just this morning, we used 15 idioms. I can't believe I'm thinking of that word idiom. You'll start thinking that way too. (laughs) Where did that word even come from? And then you're going to share it with your neighbor and they're going to be like, what? Idiom or what? What what are you saying? (laughs) What are you mumbling about? (laughs) Is that even a word? (laughs) So pay attention and you'll see those all over. And the Greek language is no different. Okay. We're going to do a little review. And these will be our words. And you should have your cards. Your cards are your friends. This is the last week we're going over the Greek alphabet. Last week. Now, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't go over it from time to time, but it's the last time that we'll go over it because we'll have other words and other ideas that we'll be discussing and thinking about, but very important. So again, if you'll go ahead and say the word, I might repeat it after you just so that way you can hear it again, but uh, we're going to run through them all 24 letters, and we'll start with our first one, and you guys go ahead. Alpha. Gamma. Beta. Delta, Epsilon, good, Zeta, Eta, Theta, good, Iota, mm-hmm. Kappa, mm-hmm. Lambda, Mu, Nu, good. Zai, mm-hmm. Omicron, good. Pi, good. Rho, Sigma, Tau. Mm-hmm. That one's kind of terse, Tau. Upsilon, mm-hmm. good. Phi, Chi. Psi. Yeah, I'm not one one. Psi. It, it, it really is a funny sound. It's the PS sense, like an ellipse. Psi. Psi. Mm-hmm. Omega. Great. And that'll be the last time. We won't do the alphabet any longer, but, you know, you have handouts, and hopefully you've made enough markings on your cards and such, your handouts, and those are your friends that'll help you. Uh, again, I mentioned that many times I have you write it out and say it so you hear it, you see it, you write it, and you speak it. And the more ways that you, you allow your senses and the ways that you can communicate to experience the words and, and the letters, the better off it's going to be to get into you. And, you know, just so you know, I mean, even just what, last night we had, our, we had our daughter working on vocabulary. What we have her do, she'd write it out. She'd say that she's writing it out, and she'd read it again. Then she'd write it out again, and we, we, we force her because the whole notion is that you have to write it, you have to see it, then you, you're saying it, and then you're also hearing it. And the more ways you get it in, the more ways you attain it. It's amazing how fast that accelerates your learning. It's harder, but boy, it accelerates your learning so much faster. Go ahead, sir. I mean, go ahead, ma'am. Go to the next one. And these are some of our words. And go ahead. Can you guys give a shot at this one? Just give me the primary word, not the ha, but just the primary word. Logos, right? Logos. 
And that's word, statement, message. What about this one? What is it? Lego. That's right, Lego. And it's like Lego my ego. Lego. I say, speak, tell. And then we went into our conjunctions. You guys remember what this one is? Kai. And that's the idea of and, even, also. Sometimes but, but rarely ever. It's mostly and, even, also. It's our normal word of blah, 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 and blah, 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 blah. And you put a Kai in there. Okay? De. This is just de. It's but. Sometimes uses and, but oftentimes more as but. Um, so there's a pause there kind of thing. Yeah, la, 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 but. And then you just use the, the de. In, and this is in, on, or by. It's typically in or on. Remember, this is the idea of within a sphere or a region. So something is inside of an idea. It's a sphere or a region. And um, we'll actually talk about that, this particular word a little bit more next week. N. Ace is the idea of into, and that's going into the region. U, and sometimes uk. They'll... There'll be that K sound on it, that Kai, and that idea is no. Someone got this one? Hati, Hati. Yes, this is the one that I made you all chuckle about, Hati. And uh, that's because of that. It's a causal idea, causal. It's because, you know, this happened because there's a cause idea. May, and it's not may, it's not a good, it's no, it's not. <laughs> may is actually not. You guys got it? What do we have here? Gar, yeah, I don't like the pirate sound, gar, and it's for, so, then. Sometimes this word will also be used as because, but typically it's, it's the so or the for idea, gar. Ek. And that's the idea of out of. It's coming out of a source region from something. Out of. Ha, he, ta. That's just the word, the, that's the definite articles. Altas, uh-huh, altas. Good, good. And that it depends on um, how it's, def- um, you can see the endings there if it's alte. Or if it's alta, then it's the altas is he, the alte is the she, and the alta, just with the omicron, is the it. Sue, uh-huh. Humes, humes. That's good. You guys are getting better at this. You really are. I, I'm hearing it more. Humes, humes. And if you need to write out that transliteration, you can do that as you're writing on your pieces of paper. Humes. And, and so, um, you can go back to the, there we go. And the first one is the you singular, that's the su. And the humes is you plural, that is more than one person you're speaking to. Like I'm speaking to you. Or if I'm just talking to one person, it would just be su. Just not, not su the person, S-U-E, but su as in the individual, you. Ego. Mm-hmm. And what? Hames. Mm-hmm. Hames. Hey, Mace. And so the idea there is I is the ego and the we is the hey, Mace. Hey, Mace is the we, okay? Amy, I am. And that is uh, 
That's a powerful word in the Greek. Um, when they describe God as the great I am, he's the great Amy. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. When you, when you see it and you just see it all by itself, it's just one of those moments when you're reading scripture. Mm-hmm. Hutas? Halte? Uh-huh. Jita. Great. It's this, this person, or thing, he, she, or it. And it just depends on how it's going to be translated in that idea. And this word, as you can see, is used quite a bit of times. And oftentimes is, um, is a culprit in passages where the word is, is used and you, the translator, are stuck trying to figure out what the writer meant. Because it can be used in a very specific way and sometimes in a very confusing, unclear way. Oh, these are the words we're going to get to tonight. So, um, yeah, we can go ahead. I can, uh, let's hold off on those for now. I don't want to, we're going to have five new verbs tonight. Yes. That's how it's found in a, if you're looking in a dictionary, a Greek lexicon, you're always going to find it as the first person singular. I did something. Well, when you're looking in the Greek, you could find it as he did this, she did this, they did this, and then it's going to have a different ending. I haven't gotten into those endings, and, and that really will more toss your salad than it will help you. And see, by the way, what is that? That's an idiom. <laughs> but you all know what I meant. <laughs> you all knew what I meant. But if they recorded that in 500 years, what, what, what are they making that? What are they making a meal or something in there? What is that? <laughs> but yes, uh, they're going through a buffet. So yes, it, it, that's, why, that, that's why in the Greek, they'll always use the first person singular for your verbs, or they'll use it in any case as the, um, in the case of the nouns, it'll be the nominative, that is, if it was the subject. Because if it's not the subject, if it's the, if it's the direct object or indirect object, it actually has a different ending, and that can get very confusing in a hurry. But you won't have to worry about that, because when you use your Greek helps, it will tell you that information. I just want you to become a little bit familiar with the words, so if you're seeing a word, you'll go, oh, I... I don't remember exactly what that word means, but I know it's, it's a noun, or I know it's a verb, or I know it's some kind of transition word. It'll give you a level of comfort. And as I describe how some of these words are used, when you look at your Greek helps, like here's a Greek grammar, okay? This is a Greek grammar, and this is a good, good way to describe it. This has, in the New Testament, it has all the different verses. So let's say that you were looking up Philippians, Chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. We just looked at here. In this particular book, there are 1, one 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. There are 10 different passages in here alone that deal just with these five verses. And they'll discuss the grammar, what's going on in those verses. And the idea that I'm trying to have for you all is if you picked up a book like this, Instead of going, that's a really thick book, you know, <laughs> you would look at it and you, and you start to look at some of the ideas and you go, well, that's not Greek anymore to me. I, I, can, I can follow a little bit because I'm giving you ideas and terms that will then make sense when you use these kind of sources. But without having some of this backdrop, 
you'll just get overwhelmed and go, I, I'm just not doing it. I'm just putting it away. Going to get rid of it because it'll just overwhelm you. And I don't want that to happen. So that's the whole point of what I'm trying to do. But that, what's what you're noticing up on there, Charles, is you're noticing the first person in, in the verbs, first person singular. That is, I something. And um, like I said, you'll see that in all of your lexicons, it's your Greek dictionaries. That's how it'll be listed, and you'll break it out from there. Okay. Um, let's look at our language design now for tonight. And if you have your little handouts, and hopefully you have your handouts, you'll notice that we're going to do a couple of passages or a couple of ideas tonight. And I believe I'm going to start you. Make sure I have the right page. Pages, ooh, the kids are crying tonight. Uh, pages 12 through 13. We're going to look just a little bit at participles again. And then our last portion is going to be on parsing. And then we'll be done. Parsing and participles. Uh, these are the last things that are discussed in the introduction, largely because they are by far and away the most complicated. And, and so we're not going to go into them in, in, in great, great detail. Let's see if we have some more up here. It says, yeah, you can just grab one of those right there. Yes, ma'am. When I look at a participle, a participle is usually a word in the Greek that will be that will normally end in an ing, sometimes the ed, the past tense, but it's a very unusual word. The word typically can be used as it can be used as a verb, it can be used as an adjective, it can even be used as a noun, it, 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 and even an adverb. It can be used in so many different ways, and in in Paul's writing, he loves the participles. Those who translate. We don't like the participles. We just don't like them because there's so much ambiguity. But Paul, he loves them. And so that's probably why people said his writings were very hard to understand because he enjoyed using some very complicated language in the Greek. And so um, you'll see there, I think uh, Wenham gives a few examples. Um, his loving wife, and that is on the top of page 13. Loving there is describing wife, so it's used as an adjective. But that word loving is a participle. Participle. And so again, we use them all the time in our language, but in the Greek, the endings that are applied make it very difficult because what the, what the Greeks will use is they'll take a word that is maybe a noun and the, or even a verb, and they'll spin on it. And they'll put... Uh, I'm going to get down too far into the weeds. I'll just say this. The amount of nomenclature that is applied to that word, it's treated both as a noun and a verb. And so as a result, I'll give it, it might be an accusative word that is a direct object. It might be masculine or feminine. And then on top of it, it might be, might be a present active indicative verb, third person singular, all in one word. And normally you don't ever do that in other words, but in the Greek they do. And it makes those words extraordinarily difficult to interpret because the endings that are applied oftentimes are the same as other endings in the Greek. Now that you're thoroughly confused. We'll spend time on participles much later 
You might say, then why do you share, that now, share it now? Because when we get to participles, you'll remember, he said participles are going to be a little complicated. They are. Normally, in a Greek study, you don't talk about participles until the second year, into your second year class, and normally not until the people have a very good handle on the language. They, they are complicated, but they are used often. So when you're looking at your Greek helps, if you see someone use a participle, just think the word normally is going to be translated with an ing or an ed, and we'll think of it oftentimes as being a word that was maybe a verb. And that'll be the best way to get you started. Now for parsing, and this is where we're going to spend about five to seven minutes. Parsing is the idea of breaking a word or a group of words into smaller components. And so I can take a word like we had up here. Well, go, go ahead and go to the next slide, Becky. Mbalo, which is I throw, I cast, or potentially even I let go. It's the idea of something being released. I'm releasing something. I, it could be I'm throwing it, which has kind of a different idea than releasing. Do you see how that plays out? Because throw is much more of an active behavior. If I throw the ball is different than if I, um, I, I release, um, what could I be releasing? You guys give me help. What could I release? A balloon. There you go. Great example. I release a balloon. Very different than throwing a ball. A different idea. But yet, balo will be used for both. And you can see that if I use balo in a, in, I, in a sentence, if I translate it as I throw something versus I release something, pretty significant di uh, difference in ideas. And so, in the Greek, balo has a pretty wide range of ideas. But there's some type of throwing, letting go, or casting away. When they cast their nets, the word balo is used. They cast them. And so balo is a verb, and if I was going to parse balo, I would describe it as this. It's present tense, active, indicative, that's my voice and my mood, and it is first person, singular. That is parsing that word. I've just broken it all out. I've described to you what it's voice, or it's tense, it's voice, and it's mood are, and that is important in how I interpret it, and then I've got it in to describe if it's per first person like I, or if it's second person like you, and then whether it's singular, what if it was first person plural, what would I, what would it be, how would I say that? It wouldn't be I throw, it would be what? We throw, mm-hmm, we throw, first person's, uh, uh, first person plural, so that's we, and so that, and that'll give me a different end. Matter of fact, if it's OSA Amanetta Usi, instead of being Balo, it would be, it would be Balo M, Balo M. And that's how that would look. It would be an Omicron, Epsilon, and then a Mu, Balo M. And that would be We Throw. I know it's a little bit like, what? Yeah, that, they, they play on endings. They play on endings in everything in the Greek on their nouns, on their adjectives, and on their verbs. And the endings are pretty complicated. It, that, that's all tied back to parsing. You don't have to memorize those. If you were taking Greek 
for a college class, yes, you'd have to memorize those, and you'd have a lot of good time with that. And um, you would lose a lot of sleep, and you wouldn't be very happy. You'd be a little grouchy. But, but you don't need to memorize that because the helps tell you that. So you don't need to know that. What I want you to understand is when you see a tense or you see an idea, what that means, what's the relevance? And we'll get into that in future weeks. So that's how I parse, I parse a word. Now I can also parse a sentence, which means I'm going to just use a very simple sentence. I'm going to go back to it again and say, um, the boy hit the ball over the fence. Now I'm just gonna I'm gonna parse the sentence. The boy is what? What is that in the sentence? It's the subject. So I have my subject right here. What is the idea of hit? What is that? That's my verb. And it's an action, that's right. And if I take the boy hit, that is called what? This is going back to what we discussed about uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. It's called my predicate. That's your subject and your verb or the predicate. The boy hit. That's, that's the crux of the actual sentence. That's your predicate. The boy hit. Then we get into more of the details. The boy hit what? The boy hit the ball. Now, what is the ball in this sentence? How would I describe that? It's my direct object, right? My direct object, sometimes described in the Greek as the accusative. Remember, it's the one that's being accused. So, the boy hit the ball. And then he did something. He hit it where? Over the fence. And what is this described as in, in our normal language? Uh -huh. It's a prepositional phrase. And specifically, it's my indirect object. Indirect object. But it's a prepositional phrase. Absolutely. So the boy hit the ball over the fence. This is a clause, indirect object. And it's also a prepositional phrase. And so that kind of gives me the idea. And that's, that's parsing a sentence but each of these words in the Greek can be parsed, each and every one of the verb, each one, every, one of the uh, words. And just tying this off, the word the, how do we describe that as far as, as a article? Is it indefinite or definite? The word the. It's definite. It's the ball, the, the boy in this case, the boy. What if it was indefinite? What would I replace the word the with? A, a boy, because it could be any boy, any boy. So it's parsing this, that's parsing the sentence, and you can also parse the word. Now you might say, why are we spending time talking about these ideas? Because when you go to a grammar book, or when you go to a lexicon, or when you go to any kind of Greek helps, they will spend time talking about the parsing of a word. They will. Because it's the parsing of a word that tells you how that word works within the ideas. Because remember, in Greek, does sentence structure matter in Greek? No. That's why parsing is so important. Because parsing gives us a clue where that word should be placed in our language. So if I'm looking at a string of Greek words, and there's ten of them that I think are somehow connected together in what we would call a sentence in, in our language, and I'm trying to... I'm trying to group them and make sense of them and their relationship. The parsing gives me clues. Because if I'm looking at a noun, let's say I put the word in here, the big boy, 
Big is what? It's an adjective. But in the Greek, big, it, it might say, it might read it in, in Greek. I'm going to just translate it. It might say, hit the boy, I mean, hit the ball, over the fence, the boy, big. And it could very much order it just that way. Very much that way, because maybe the Greek writer is trying to emphasize the, the bigness of the boy. For whatever reason, it doesn't really matter. But that's what the, the author might be trying to communicate. And so it'll end with that word big to drive home the point to the reader. But when you're constructing it, you've got to figure out how this stuff all works together. So the parsing, the word big here, will be an adjective, but it'll be nominative, and it'll be masculine. So I know it ties with boy. So I don't put big beside the ball. Because otherwise I might think the boy hit the big ball. It's a different idea, isn't it? Altogether. That's why parsing is so important. Because parsing tells me which word in the Greek ties to which word. I'm trying to put together like a puzzle. See how that works? It's like putting together a puzzle. All these words are just spread out all over the place. And I'm going, okay, all right, well, this word goes with this word. Okay, I'm going to tie these guys together. Now, what do I got left? All right, I got these other five. And this one's all by itself. And that's kind of what you go through when you start doing the translation. And that'll help you appreciate what, the right, what, the, what our translators do. But that's why parsing is so important. Yes, yes, sir. Yes, very much so. You are diagramming it, very much. Yes, and all you're doing here is you're parsing. And parsing just means breaking it down to its basic elements because those basic elements are my clues into how it works with the other words in there. Because again, in the Greek, they don't necessarily put them side by side like we do. It, order doesn't matter. So you ha- but what it allows then the writer to do, since order doesn't matter, it allows the writer to tell us, put keywords at the beginning of an idea and at the end of idea because they want you, the reader, to take note. So if the, word, if the word big here is really important, it's the size of that boy that really matters to the writer, they can put big either at the very beginning, big the boy hit. doesn't matter. The writer's not worried about that because the writer knows you're going to know what he's saying. He's going to say the big boy. But he wants you to pick up on that the size, the bigness of the boy is what really matters in this sentence. And that's, that's the beauty of the language. The Greek language can do things that we can't do in ours. It can emphasize ideas and thoughts that we just miss out on. So we read, the Greek, we read the English language and we blow through it. And sometimes we place emphasis on words that the writers may not have been placing emphasis on. They're placing it somewhere else. But we miss out on that clue because we're reading it in a translation. So that's the beauty of this. I want you to, I, I'm trying to help you appreciate it a little bit. It is worth, it is worth the while, which is why I'm spending some time on it. We'll talk a lot about parsing now over the next few weeks. Again, don't be scared by it at all. It is actually the clues. They're clues to help us better understand what's going on. Help us put, put the puzzle together. Okay. But don't get stressed. I will help you all along the way. That's what we're introducing in week five. Like 17, you'll be going, parsing. I know all about parsing. I'm good with parsing. I know what that is. Right now you're just going, I'm not really sure I know what that is. <laughs> That's why repetition is the key. That's how we learn. Repetition, repetition, repetition. While we've done the Greek alphabet, what? Five weeks in a row. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Okay. That is the end of our word design for tonight.
And you're probably all saying amen to that. But, but it, is, it is definitely, we're getting to the crux of it. Okay, we have five words tonight. You might want to get some index cards if you need them. Of course, we have uh, pens up here. We have uh, hole punches up here so you can put them in. These are all verbs. So when you have your little, your little circle, you look for the one, the packet that says verbs. It'll be Lego. Lego was one of our verbs. You want to put this into that group. Okay, our first word, and I think there are handouts at the front here. We can maybe even send those around. Oh, they already distributed them. Oh, oh, she already has them. She has them. So if you need, uh, Miss Becky has them back here, and she can give you a sheet, and that way you can write some things down. But there are five words. I'll go through these twice, so don't stress. All right, now I just want you to hear them, and then I'll go back over them. And I think, oh, good. I was thinking I gave you the, the kind of alliteration of it. Thank you, Becky. Um, you'll see that up there. Now, when I put balo, I don't put a lot. It's, it's a long O, and that's how, and many times you're going to see it with the, with the omega at the end. That's a long O, like in October. October. It's a long O, so it's balo. And that is, I throw, I let go, I cast. And you can see how those, again, those are some pretty different ideas, all for the same word. Let's go to our next one. This one is blepo, and that is, I see. When the blind man said, I can see, he said, blepo, I see, blepo. This one is grapho. This one's a little easier. I write. Kind of like graphite, you know, our word graphite for lead, it, it, it comes from that idea. You always know it's a verb because it'll end in that omega. You'll see that in almost all verbs, not all verbs. It's kind of like the English language. Like you get the rule and then you get like the 15 exceptions. You, you have that in Greek too, yeah. I think we got that from them, you know. It's not like math where there's usually a rule and it's pretty much a rule. <laughs> not in language. No, no, there's always exceptions. But in general, you'll see it end in omega. Sometimes it'll end in an epsilon omega. Sometimes. But you're going to see mostly omegas. And I'll tell you right away, you're looking at a verb. You're looking at a verb. So grapho is I write. I write. Okay? And then we have gnosko. And that's what we're going to spend some time on next week. And that is, I know. I know. It kind of comes from the idea of, and there'll be, there'll be nouns that we'll look at later, which will have very similar ideas, but it might be like, um, it'll have the Omicron Sigma at the end, and that's a noun. We'll get to those next, in the next couple weeks. And that'll be, many times it'll go from a verb like I know to knowledge, which will be the noun component. But this is I know, gnosko. And then we have egero, which is I raise. Egero, I raise. Kind of think of growing, egero. It, it's, it's, that's the idea. I raise. And so, and that one, of course, all these words in this case this week are all used a hundred or more times in the New Testament Greek. So I try to give you some relatively common verbs. So we'll go back over them again. I think that's the last one, right, Becky? Great. We'll go over these one more time, and now you can write some ideas down, and we'll be finished for the night. And if you guys go ahead and say this one for me. Balo. 
And that is, I throw, I cast, or I let go. Or, and, and the idea there is that releasing component. And so it can be both active and it can be a little bit more uh, passive almost. Balo. Next word. Blepo. And that is, I see. Blepo, I see. What do you got here? Grapho. And that is, I write. That is the capital for the gamma. It kind of looks a little weird, doesn't it? And, and normally you won't see that. Normally you'll see that the, the, the lowercase gamma. And of course, my gamma does not look like yours, I know. They, they, they tend to like to do this little thing. I, I just, I'm a little more stylish, so. We're writing it for about, writing it for about 15, 20 years, so, you know, forgive me. So, I mean, you write as much as I've written it, you just, you start to have fun with it. So, grapho. Next one, gnosko, and that is I know. And you can see that one happens over 200 times. That is a, is a, a very powerful word, and its noun component for knowledge is also very frequent in the, in the, in the language, gnosko. What do you guys got here? This one's probably the toughest of the bunch. Agero, agero. And I put that, the transliteration, try to make it as sound as close to one. On your paper, you might want to put like the long for the O on top. That's fine. I, I don't want to go through all that effort. But I don't know. I'll send it off to Becky. But you'll get the gist. And I know you can start to write and you can finesse it yourself and whatever helps you remember. But that idea is Egero, which is I raise. I raise. So if it's I raise, he raises, she raises, they raise, you raise, um, they'll have different endings on that. And I think we'll get into those next week. I think we get into the present active indicative. Okay, as we're going forward next week, I will not do anything else in chapter one. Chapter one was all about the alphabet, and we've pretty much covered enough of the alphabet. And even in lesson two, we will not need to worry about punctuations and, and some of the pieces there. We, we can jump right into lesson three. So Becky, on our purposes... This will maybe help me save an email to you later. We're going to want to have Lesson 3 printed out for next week, and that'll be pages 25 through page 29. 25 through 29. And that'll be a handout for you all next week, and we'll be looking at present indicative verbs and present, act, uh, present indicative and active. And we'll go through what that means. That'll be our lesson design, but it'll just be one idea. And then you'll know what that means. You'll know how to use it. And then we'll go through some more words. So that concludes the session. Um, any questions before you go home? Thank you for taking time out on your Wednesdays. I know you could be a lot of other places doing a lot of other things. A lot of other things that aren't going to stretch your mind as much. But I'm glad that um, you chose to be here tonight. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for the privilege and the honor that we have to spend time together. And thank you that we have an opportunity to be stretched in our thinking, but also, Lord, recognize the beauty and the power of the, of the scriptures. And, Lord, there are so many powerful and hidden truths that are lying in there that oftentimes get missed, get overlooked, and those treasures are just, they're just there for discovery. They're there for, the, for us, Lord, through the quickening of the Holy Spirit to see and to enjoy and to come closer to you and understand more and more clearly what you want us to become as people of God. 
in our behaviors, in our thoughts, in our motives, in our actions. And help the word of God to speak to us. It is indeed God-breathed. And every, every marking is important. And help us to enjoy that language. And may it breathe life, health, and well-being to our spirits and to our, and to our very beings. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Bless these men and women as they go their way. May they have a triumphant week and a week in which they can share the love of God with those around them in a way which will change lives and make a difference in eternity. For your glory and praise in Jesus' name, amen. You guys have a great rest of the week.